Welcome to the Thomas Guide. We've got a big show ahead of you. We're going to get into the Facebook Live controversy and, and the Trump comments related to that. Ford cancels a plan in Mexico. Eric Holder's coming to California. Fake news. Ted Cruz pollster, an LA Times reporter. All that and more coming up on the Thomas Guide. You're not going to want to miss it. This is the Thomas Guide. Your roadmap for navigating the world. With your guide, John Thomas. Political savant, world-class analyst, and culture critic. No need to Google directions. Just buckle up and enjoy the ride. This is the Thomas Guide. With your host, John Thomas. Welcome back. Another week, another episode. Here in downtown LA, it's a little rainy. And it's amazing how people in LA have no idea what to do with rain. But what I am excited about is I like to ski. And I like to snowboard. And they're saying, I think something like 20 inches or something's going to be dropping in the local mountains. Which means we're going to have the first good ski season in several years. Um, I've been skiing since I was a little kid. I think like four years old. I used to be more interested in the hot chocolate. Uh, than I was the skiing, but now it's a little bit of the reverse. But for the last few years, you know, we've had a drought in California, so I'm just, there's been no skiing. I even canceled my season pass at Mammoth, so I'm going to repurchase that. And uh, that's one of my New Year's resolutions, to spend a little more time on the slope. But I want, before we get into the big news of the day, I want to tell you about my trip to Grand Central Market in downtown Los Angeles this week. I was strolling over there to get a cup of coffee, and at a place called, I think it's called G&B Coffee. It's one of those gourmet hipsters. Producer Helene, you know. Well, you know, the New York Times actually called this coffee shop the number one coffee shop in the nation. That's like, pretty. Like in 2011 something. when it first opened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I really know what makes, I know it's better than Starbucks because they don't burn their beans. It's pretty good. It is good, but it's it's really hipster. But here's what I noticed. Grand Central Market, for those of you who haven't been, really you got to check it out. And it's more than a tourist destination. For us locals, it's where we go for lunch or a coffee break. Um, but they're really, they're kicking out, it's transformed. I'd say it's gentrified, actually. They've, they've kicked out a lot of the, I'd say, what would you say, Aline? It used to be where... It used where to like be, Mexican workers would go to get oranges. I know that sounds it was terrible, but that's what... damaged produce. It was actually rejected mm. produce market. Yeah, I mean, that's where it was, and it was always bustling, uh, but you'd go there to get good deals on produce. Now, you go there to pay five bucks for a cup of coffee, but it's a damn good cup of coffee, and you can get, you know, different kinds of cheese, gourmet, organic, uh, happy cow cheeses, and Thai food, and a scoop of ice cream that costs 10 bucks, but it is good ice cream. Um, so, I'm standing at G&B. Is it G&B or G&H? G&B. G&B, thanks. I'm standing at the best coffee shop in the country, stand, standing, and you don't sit down. You, you stand around the bar. And I'm sitting there waiting for, actually, Helene, waiting for your order that took forever, a decaf cappuccino, which I didn't realize is, it took, it took like 15 minutes to prepare. New Year's resolution. Well, don't judge. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm waiting, and uh, somebody walks up next to me. I look at her. And I go, I'm, I'm thinking, where do I know her? Where do I know her? I go, ah, got it. It's Emily, and I'm going to, her last name is difficult to pronounce. I think it's Emily Ratajkowski. She's the chick from Entourage movie, the Blurred Lines naked video, you know, the Blurred Lines video where the topless chick pranced around. Um, and now she's in a bunch of stuff. She's basically just a model. And she looked depressed. And so I asked her, it's like, why are you so sad? And she said, I'm still mourning over this election. By the way, it's been weeks since the election. I said, you're in mourning? And she said, yeah. Because she prominently supported Bernie Sanders in the primary and was depressed that Sanders did not win. And she she hates Trump, thinks he's, you know, Hitler reincarnated, but she also thinks that Hillary Clinton would have been a disaster. And I we had started having more of a policy conversation about um, the prison system and uh, socialism. 
She went to UCLA. What was interesting is all over this cup of coffee, and she's a staunch Democrat, but she even hated the establishment and what folks like um, Keith Ellison and Nancy Pelosi are putting forth. I got to tell you, if the Democrats were going to get into this with fake news later on, but, but I think the big takeaway here is while this is a serious conversation and a real effort by Democrats uh, regarding um, regarding things that are fake, things that are unhacked, uh, uh, whether it's a Russian, uh, um, Russians hacking our election, fake news, putting out lies, and that's the only way that the American public could have possibly voted Donald Trump into office. It's all an attempt to delegitimize Donald Trump, but it's not going to work in terms of winning. It may persuade public opinion about delegitimizing Trump, but it's not going to work in terms of getting them to vote against Republicans in the midterms and unelect or or, or not reelect Donald Trump in four years. And here's why. Because all of this is a sideshow. The real meat of politics at the end of the day is the economy. Do I feel safe? Do I have money in my pocket and can I provide for my family? And the Democrats are getting off on this whole Russian hacking bullshit and it's distracting them from coming up with an actual economic uh, agenda that resonates with blue collar workers. All of that in a cup of coffee with Emily Redikowski. All right. Uh, there's a la- uh, last night, uh, Facebook, there was a big. Uh, video that broke on Facebook Live, and I'm, I'm sure everybody's seen it, but for those of you who haven't, uh, there was a a hate crime that occurred on Facebook Live for about 30 minutes where the video shows um, four people, two men, two women, um, that had shackled a handicapped pers- uh, man's um, wrists, um, and then they were punching him, they were kicking him. Um, and you know what? Do we have the clip? It's hard to watch that video. Um, it's disgusting. Uh, there are so many things that are uh, terrible and also fascinating about this video. Uh, first of all, the racial component to it. Um, I believe the 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 video shows um, uh, these people. Uh, there, uh, the video shows. I believe the attackers were African American. The handicapped uh, young man is um, uh, is white. Uh, one of the things I don't know if we showed in the video here, but uh, the video also in that thirty minute episode shows um, one of the attackers cutting into the young man's scalp with a knife, leaving a visibly bald patch. Uh, it's disgusting. Um, and, of course, this takes place in Chicago. In a, in a, in a, as Chicago is drawing really intense scrutiny because they've had 762 homicides in the, in the year 2016 alone. Um, crime is out of hand. And then, of course, what they were yelling was, F Donald Trump, F white people. Um, so the, the, I guess the, the, the questions that we need to digest is have we gotten to such a point where picking on Donald Trump and white people is a popular thing to do? I know, and, 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 and here's where I think the hypocrisy in the media exists. They're always so quick, whether it's David Duke or uh, uh, they're always quick to throw the race card when it comes to other races other than whites being victims. And bullying white people is a thing that everyone's okay with, bullying them verbally on camera and on screen. That's fine. Look, I'm a white male. I take it. I'm a white male Republican. I'm the I'm the I'm the perfect punching bag. And. We don't say anything because it's fine. It is what it is. But you got to wonder if that encourages young people. I think these people are uh, 18. If it encourages young people to think that it's cool and it's okay 
to escalate not just rhetoric, but also physical violence against white people. And I think the reality is the media has such a color lens on how they approach the news that instead of disavowing violence and negative rhetoric against anyone of any race, um, they leave white people as the okay exception to pick on. And I've just got to think that it helped, you know, end up pushing forth. Of course, these kids are troubled youth and all that. But the fact that these kids put it on Facebook live tells me not only did they want to kick this kid's ass and, and torture him, but they wanted other people to see. They wanted to brag about it. And that's what's so disgusting to me. It's not just that it happened, which is terrible and shameful, but they wanted to brag about it on Facebook in a video format. Oh, boy. I hope these kids go to jail. All right. <laughs> Moving along um, on more up, upbeat news. Uh, you know, every week we talk about how Donald Trump remains singularly focused really on, yeah, there's lots of little sideshows, but, but really remains focused on jobs and economic message. And if he continues to do that, he will win in the midterms uh, and he will win again in four years. And this week we saw another major move where Ford canceled a plant, a, a uh, over billion dollar plant that they were going to build in Mexico and instead said that they will invest $700 million in Michigan, creating 700 new U.S. jobs. But here's the kicker. Uh, do we have any audio or video for that? Uh, we, we don't have for Ford. Yeah. No. Nothing. Sorry, okay. No, no problem at all. Uh, here's the kicker. In an interview with uh, on on CNBC, the CEO of Ford said that one of the main reasons they decided to reinvest in the United States and in Michigan is because they they have a, a it's a vote of confidence in President Elect Trump that they believe Trump's economic vision, his pro job and pro growth policies are a place that they can see investing in. Another big score for Donald Trump, and if this keeps up, uh, he's going to be just fine politically. Um, now, on the flip side, Toyota, uh, Trump tweeted against Toyota uh, just uh, this week, basically saying, uh, and I quote, um, Toyota Motor said, uh, this is the tweet, Toyota Motor said, uh, we'll build a new plant in Baja, Mexico to build Corolla cars for U.S. No way, exclamation point. Build plant in U.S. or pay big border tax. Uh, that just broke today. Um, of course, um, then he said uh, General Motors is sending Mexican-made uh, model of Chevy Cruze to U.S. car uh, car dealers tax-free across border, making USA or pay big border tax. Now, of course, Toyota stock has dipped for the day. I imagine it will rebound like Northrop Grumman's, uh, uh, Boeing's did. Um, but so the we'll see. Look, if Toyota gives in to Trump's claim that he'll tax them and decides to make their car here in the United States, another big win. I mean, we can talk about crony capitalism, uh, does sets a dangerous precedent. I think that's all fair and valid. But at the end of the day, if you are somebody in the Rust Belt, what do you care how Trump got the jobs back? All you care is that the jobs are coming back. And he's actually not even taken office yet. Big news in California, Eric Holder, former Attorney General Eric Holder, former liberal Attorney General Eric Holder has been hired by the California legislature to challenge Trump and federal programs. And, uh, and he's been, his law firm's being paid $25,000 a month um, to challenge the Trump administration. Here's the story here. In California, Trump, it is always a win to attack Trump. And so over the next four years, all you're going to see coming out of California is more and more upping the ante about who can pick the bigger fight with Donald Trump. The California legislator, especially the Democrats, they don't care if it ends up yielding any results for the people or affecting policy nationally. That's not what it's about. It's about generating headlines so that they can you know, run for governor, they can run for the Senate or springboard in four years, depending upon where Trump's approvals are, to run for president. That's what this is all about. 
And what ticks me off is they're using taxpayer dollars at $25,000 a month to challenge Trump when we have an attorney general, Javier Becerra, who was just appointed uh, because Kamala Harris is now our, our, our senator. That's Javier's job. So basically what this this is a slap in the face to Javier Becerra that apparently he's not qualified to challenge Trump. Uh, I think we're going to see it just escalate over the next four years. Mark my words, the candidates one by one are going to be tack, uh, um, upping the ante. Uh, I'm expecting Antonio Villaraigosa, who's running for, for governor or former L.A. city mayor, to he's I'm sure he's thinking about how he can physically have a confrontation with Trump, something that goes viral. I guarantee you their communications people are staying up at night thinking about that. It's disgusting. But more importantly, it's wasting our money. Ugh. Nasty. All right, moving along to uh, fake news. That's what everybody's talking about. Um, bit of fake news that uh, that that began uh, that came out last week was in the in the Washington Post uh, published that the Russian government ha- uh, had hacked a Vermont utility, um, and of course they. Walk that back because that never happened. Um, apparently, the Russian government um, was like snooping around in some computers related to the utility, but there was no hack. Fake news, and it drove a cycle. Um, the one thing I do want to talk about as it relates to whether and what to believe and what not to is the Russian hacking in general is a big story. Um, and here's the here's where I'm concerned is this conversation over whether or not Russia hacked uh, Podesta's account and the DNC's account has now escalated to becoming just shorthand for the election was hacked. And for your average American, not folks like us who are well-informed and watching this closely, but your average American who's just worried about putting food on, on, on the table for his kids and getting his, or the mom, who's taking care of her kids or a single mom who's got a lot on her plate and getting her kids to soccer, soccer games in the evenings are not following this closely. And so what they end up thinking is that Donald Trump is not the legitimate winner of the election because if it weren't for all the shenanigans, whether it's potential recounts, uh, the electoral college versus the popular vote, that Donald Trump should not have win. Oh, and fake news that must have duped half of America into voting for Donald Trump. That's all this Russian hacking is. And so what you're seeing from Donald Trump is not so much a disbelief that our intelligence agencies are not trustworthy, but what Donald Trump is trying to do is separate the conversations. Because like he said on Twitter, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he quoted Julian Assange saying that a, a, a four-year-old could have hacked John Podesta's account. We don't for certain know that it was Russia. And in fact, that's true. It's true we don't know that it was Russia. Probably Russia, but we don't know that for a fact. And by the way, we do know that John Podesta's email password was the word password. That's, that's what it was. Crazy. Not even capitalized. <laughs> I mean, literally, anyone could have guessed that. So was it the Russians? I don't know. But did John Podesta or Hillary Clinton have people who didn't like them that could have been attempt, attempting to uh, uh, hack uh, their email accounts? Absolutely. And let's not forget, Donald Trump has been consistent on this issue. Uh, back in, in uh, when Bush uh, declared that there were weapons of mass destruction, Donald Trump said uh, he wasn't sure if there was. Uh, and in fact, you remember the Democrats, the table were turned and the Democrats were saying Bush lied, people died. Well, Bush didn't lie. The intelligence agencies got it wrong. Occasionally, they get things wrong. And what Donald Trump is saying, let's not jump to conclusions until we know all the facts and it's been fully vetted. Democrats love this because they get to say the election was hacked and Donald Trump is a denier. You know, it's interesting how... Democrats like the word to use the phrase denier a lot, denying global warming, uh, denying uh, equal rights. It's thematic. Do we have our guests on the line? Um, not not yet. yet. Okay, no, no, no. We're, we're, we got we got time. I got other stuff. Just uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, give me five minutes. 
<laughs> Sorry, Tiffany. Intern Tiffany, we're, we're coordinating guests. I'm a little verbose today, but we'll get there. Uh, the other the other news is Megyn Kelly uh, at Fox News left Fox News this week, and it was announced that she is joining uh, she's joining NBC, and that's a fascinating move to me. Megyn Kelly had very strong ratings at Fox, and uh, and the and the question is, will she survive at NBC? I'm not sure. I like Megyn Kelly a lot. Um, she's super smart. I think she's a good interviewer. But I'm wondering if she's not a good, she's really a best fit for cable news. Uh, the kind of news that you see on Channel 247 is softer and squishier. Um, I know that that Megyn Kelly, I think, has had a fascination with uh, Barbara Walters I just don't see Megyn Kelly having the personality of a Barbara Walters or a Michael Strahan. Um, but we'll see. You know, people evolve. Maybe she hasn't had the opportunity to do that. But whatever she's doing, she's getting $25 million bucks a year to do it. So good for her. But it's caused the lineup to shift. Tucker Carlson at Fox News was just announced he's taking Megyn Kelly's slot. Martha McCallan, who's a, uh, an anchor, is now taking over for Tucker Carlson's old slot earlier in the day. I don't know if that's a permanent position. So speculation is if I had my pick, I'd say they take Trish, is it Trish uh, Reagan or Regan, Reagan. I'd take Trish from Fox Business who fills in for Cavuto and, and others and I'd give her Tucker's old slot. She's tremendous. I've been on with her a bunch. Uh, she's a great host. And then of course, Greta Van Susteren who was, uh, her bluff was called during the negotiation period over for salaries at, uh, at Fox News announced today that she's joining MSNBC. Whoa. Weird. Strange. I guess you got to take what you can get. But I just, MSNBC is in this uh, identity crisis right now. They've come out and said that they are going to basically call balls and strikes. You're the latest news and, and facts. Because remember, their whole thing, their liberal lens is, we need facts because this post-truth era has got to go. The problem is their facts are all liberal leaning and producer lean. I could tell I've done MSNBC a few times. Their audience is not fair and balanced <laughs> at all. I don't think it's large either. It's not, but, but no, it's not, it's not large. But when you, when I do a hit on, on a segment on MSNBC, the level of hate that I receive on Twitter and, and elsewhere is crazy. Uh, and I receive almost no praise, no that a boys, good jobs, keep going. Greta Van Susteren, I don't know, is a partisan, uh, but I don't think that audience even wants somebody who's neutral. They want their worldview parroted through different personalities' lenses. I just don't think Greta's going to stick on the network, but you know what? You got to kill time. Better be on some network than no networks, I guess, but I just don't think she'll be comfortable there. She's not a good fit. I'm going to tune in, though. That'll be interesting to watch. Well, I think lots of people are going to tune in for the first few segments. Mm -hmm. That's my plan. Yeah, that's your plan. Uh, all right. Where are we with guests? Oh, great. We've got our first guest. I am thrilled to have join us at the Thomas Guide. Um, a friend of mine and colleague, uh, Chris Wilson. He's the CEO of Wilson Perkins Allen Research. Um, Chris is he's a pollster by trade. But I think he's a lot, honestly, I think he's a lot more than that. I think he's more of a strategist than just a pollster. Um, I guess what he's most famous for at this point is he was the director of research analytics and digital strategy for Ted Cruz for president's campaign. Um, and he played a key role in Cruz's big win in Iowa. Um, Chris, are you with us? Oh, I think we have some audio difficulties. Chris, Chris, can you hear us? I can, but I'm having a little bit of trouble. Oh, great. How, how is that? Does it sound okay now? Oh, I think we got a weak connection. Um, Chris, can you hear us? Let's try that again. I hear you. I think the connection's kind of bad here. Oh, okay. All right. You sound better. Can you, can you say something again? Ooh. You know what? Uh, why don't we try connecting again 
on a different phone. We'll yeah, I think so. I, I, I can hear you. Kind oh, of oh, oh now, now you sound per- now you sound perfect. Do we lose you? You know what? We'll call you right back, Chris. <laughs> ah, the beauties of technology. Somebody's beeping in. No, that was the disconnect beep. Oh, that's the disconnect beep. <laughs> that was the want want. How's your reception, Helene? Can you? Let's see. Okay. We're going to do this. We're going to do it live. We're going to do it live. <laughs> okay. Well, in the meantime. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, while I get Chris on the line. Sure. I want to play some of those audio bites now. Okay. Is that something we can do? Yeah. Because we were going to talk to Chris about, um, one of the things we're going to talk to Chris about is the uh, Obamacare. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, let's let's play the audio clips and then uh, then we'll have a conversation with Chris when he comes back on the line. having all kinds of trouble yeah we're having all kinds of i think it's just one connector everyone bear with us for a second well in the meantime uh you can tweet me uh at the thomas guide on twitter uh or if you're following us on facebook go ahead and uh we can chat with us and if you have questions at any time uh you can ask us during the show okay i think we got the clips oh and we got chris let's try this one more time okay we'll try this one more time First, I want to play the clips. We're going to play the clips. Can, can Chris hear the clips? He cannot. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Make America great again, it would make America sick again and lead to chaos. This is Chuck That's Schumer. That's Chuck Schumer. Yeah. Okay. Yep. This is Chuck Schumer. And then we've got another great quote for, the, for this week. And so make America sick again? Is that what the Republicans want to do? Mm-hmm. That's Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Okay. And then my favorite last one. You want grandma living in the guest room? <laughs> you you repeal the Affordable Care Act. Okay, now we've got stuff to okay, talk about. Okay, all right. Let's see about. if we can get Chris back. Uh, Chris, uh, can you hear us now? Yeah, much better. Oh, you sound Maybe. great. Thank you so much uh, for bearing with us, the technical challenges. Uh, no worries. Uh, so welcome to the Thomas Guide. I uh, I don't know if you you heard us give the, your, your brief intro, but I sang your praises. And I want to, oh, be, be, before we... Uh, Look forward into. I want to have an, a, an Obamacare messaging conversation uh, and a healthcare messaging conversation with you, and then kind of what to expect from both sides. But before we get to that, I want to look into the rearview mirror a little bit uh, and talk about your experience with the Ted Cruz for camp uh, for president campaign, and for all of the talk of polling being BS and getting it wrong. What you know? What did you guys? Everybody credits you guys with running a great campaign, and from what I understand, it's because it was a data-driven campaign. Is that fair? Well, it was, and I think um, you know they give us credit for running a campaign, and I appreciate that because you're right, we do get a lot of uh, attention for that. But really, what it gets down to is we had the best candidate, and so it made it really easy to do that. That's not some sort of uh, line. I mean, I, I truly do believe that, and I wouldn't have gone to work for Senator Cruz if I didn't believe that from the outset. And but you know the, the beauty of Ted Cruz is is been has been well documented. You know, Alan Dershowitz called him the smartest student he'd ever had, and uh, Ted is brilliant on several levels. And his mom is actually, and this is a well-known, she's a mathematician. She was actually the first computer programmer to work for Exxon. <laughs> and in work, it was great because every time she would come in the office, she would want to come by my office. And she'd come in every day and make volunteer phone calls. It's just phenomenal. And she'd come by my office to want to check my math and make sure I was doing everything right. <laughs> and uh, Ted kind of grew up with that with that level of understanding and curiosity when it came to, uh, re- came to data and analytics. And he also was is a student of politics. He had read uh, Sasha Eisenberg's book on the political lab about the Obama campaign. He had read David Pluff's book, the uh, the audacity to win. And actually, gave me a, a copy of that when we first got together. And he was uh, very familiar with the growth of data and analytics on um, on in politics and the impact that it had. So all of that has come together or came together to really. Uh, he made it very clear to me. Early on, to that um, that he would not tolerate any campaign being more aggressive or being more 
innovative when it came to research data and analytics. And what that allowed me to do was kind of, you know, all these crazy ideas that somebody like me might have when it comes to wanting to build out a campaign, you know, the kind of things that typically I'll go to a candidate and say, hey, let's do, uh, let's build 167 different voter segments in the state mm-hmm. of Iowa whenever the last presidential campaign on the Republican side had built exactly four for the entire country. And that's, that's, that's true. I mean, the, the Ronnie campaign had four voter segments. We had 167 in Iowa alone, just to give you an idea of the, the growth of what we were doing. And so in coming and trying to do that, Ted Cruz was 100% on board. And so it made some of the things that we did and we were doing um, easy and acceptable, and I didn't have challenge getting funding for it. And so I think it did allow us to do things and be uh, a little more, a little different than other campaigns. It allowed us to be more aggressive and it allowed us to uh, to run a campaign that I think w- that Red State wrote an article saying that Ted Cruz pitched a no-hitter and still won. Now, I wouldn't go that far, mm. but I think we ran a good campaign. I think we had a solid effort. Um, but we could not have done that without the guy at the top. And that was oh, Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, I know at least in, in my practice, uh, it starts and stops with a great candidate. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just consultants, and we can uh, help shape a candidate, uh, but if they they got to hit their marks, um, and they've got to lead the campaign they got to raise the money. It's their face. It's their life. It's their ability to deliver the message that sometimes we help to dial in for them. Uh, you know, Chris, what's, in, what's fascinating is you know, with all those different voter uh, buckets, um, just getting wonky for some of our, our, our viewers is that's great in a presidential to have 100 plus buckets. But if you're running a congressional race and you've got... <laughs> Two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars to spend in mail or TV. I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it about kind of drawing out that roadmap of what those winner messages are, what the stories are, and how you have to frame the race, and sticking to just a handful of messages? Because we don't have the even if we could figure out all those buckets, we don't have enough, uh, you know, horsepower to deliver it all, right? Yeah, that that really is a challenge. You're exactly right. I mean, it's um, the collateral it, it took for us to be able to target those groups was uh, substantial, and it's difficult to it would be difficult to do that on a traditional campaign. Now, I believe it's possible. I just think it's difficult, and I do think you know the beauty of a presidential campaign is it really gives you an insight. I think into the future of politics. It allows you to um, to run a campaign or because you're doing things on a national level. And with fairly decent funding, you know, by the end of the day, end of the campaign, we raised $92 million, yeah. $55 million of that online, more than any other Republican had in, in Republican primary history. And what we – so because of that, we were able to do things and test things and try things that uh, most people didn't. Now, the, the great thing about data and analytics is and if you have – let's just take a round number. Let's say hypothetically there are a million – and I'm going to put it in primary terms. There are a million Republican primary voters. Well, the typical effort on the digital side or even the direct mail side is, you know, you might pull out four or four voters, you might pull out Republicans on Facebook, but you go and target all of those. Well, what data and analytics allows you to do is eliminate those people who are never going to vote for you under any circumstances. Also eliminate those people who are never going to vote under any circumstances. So instead of targeting a million, you might only target 300,000 or 400,000 people that you are going to – that you have the ability to win. And I'm probably getting a little bit too wonky here, but the bottom line is, is it ends up creating an efficiency in a campaign that I believe is the future of politics. And I think within – I think we're really in the last cycle of polling in the way that it has been used in the past. I think you'll still have some sort of overall general message development that will be done through traditional survey research. But I think after this cycle, you will no longer see um, – polling in the way that it has been done in the past. And I think most message development and most message targeting, if not all, will be done through data and analytics. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And for our audience, just to put it in more layman's terms, I mean, this is typically how a campaign works. Uh, we do something called a benchmark poll, which is a big, fatty, expensive poll um, to, you know, we'll do it a few months before the election. It could be even six months before the election, just depends. Uh, and then we literally don't test again until uh, sometimes we don't test again, period, depending upon the race. But other yeah, times then we do these. The yeah, yeah, right. Depending upon the money. Uh, but then, you know, oftentimes we don't test again. And the sample size is what? Five, six hundred people. So you really can't mm-hmm. drill down to these smaller segments. 
I mean, we can look at broad things, men, women, but I can't tell you yep. single women who are Latino in a particular zip code. <laughs> I can't tell you that with a with a sample like that. So, and then we don't no, retest we until oftentimes two, three weeks. We'll do a track in uh, before the election. And at that point, Chris, it's too late, right? The the, the, the ship yeah. has sailed. It's either working or it's not. And that's the beauty of analytics because what we were able to do on cruise, and you can do this on you can do this on the city council campaign in Los Angeles, is because we were making phone calls and doing door to door work, we were then feeding that data back in to our database and our voter file, and running our rerunning our models every time we collected enough data. So we were able to it was like we were we were running a track because we had enough granular data that we were able to determine movement on a night by night basis. And you mentioned tracking, you know, Latino women, Republicans, that kind of thing. Our ability to, I'll give you an example of what we did. We actually targeted women in the carpool line, kids at school, on their phones that were potential cruise voters, Republican primary voters, on the issue of education. I mean, that's how incredible. we were able to get because of the uh, growth in technology, our ability to be de- device agnostic in terms of our targeting, our ability to build models specific to the issue, concerns of the people involved, and our ability to track people from a geographic standpoint, you know, geo-target people, right. like I said, in a carpool line at, at elementary schools right. in, in Iowa. Hey, Chris, I've got two minutes uh, left, so I want to get through two more topics real, real quickly. Uh, <laughs> everybody says Donald Trump branded your guy as Lion Ted. But you guys never really address that, in, 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 at least that I saw, in a paid fashion in media. What, was, in fact, that a concern of the campaign, that his integrity was questioned? Did that ever stick with the voters, or is that just something the talk radio and media talked about? No, it definitely did. It, he did a good job. And look, the one thing, and I would say this is why Trump won, is because he had a share of voice that nobody else was able to match. There's no amount of money we could have spent that would have allowed us to match the share of voice that Donald Trump received through earned media. It was rated by MediaQuant.net. You can look this up. That by the May 3rd, when we dropped out, Donald Trump had received $2.3 billion in earned media, where we had received about $600 million mm-hmm. uh, in comparison. So you know, it was just it wasn't even close in terms of its overall. And that was whenever remember it came a two person we came a two person race really after the second Super Tuesday. So uh, I we did our best to address it. But there's no way we could have spent enough money to address, to match what the share of voice that Donald Trump had in the Republican primary. Okay, last quick question. I've got 60 seconds for this one. Um, Obamacare, and we'll, we're going to have to have you back on, Chris, because I could I could literally ask you questions all day about this. But on the issue of Obamacare <laughs> and health care going forward, uh, the, the Democrats are saying you're going to throw granny off a cliff. Uh, you're going to make America sick again. I mean, this is, to me— it's the same kind of conversation we had when Obamacare was first kind of getting rammed down our throats. The Republicans are walking a tightrope right now because they're hell bent on repealing. They don't quite know what they're going to replace with. What kind of message do you think the GOP has to deliver to the American people so that they don't uh, get um, branded uh, by the Democrats as somebody who just wants to take away your health care? Well, I, it's a great question, and I don't know if I can do a 60 seconds, so I'll give you as much as I can in that amount of time. <laughs> I think they do have to have a message. I think what they, I, I think is why Tom Price, is, who is a congressman from Georgia that's named Secretary of Health and Human Services, who is a doctor, has been named the position he has. And I think what you see McConnell doing right now is sort of buying time until Price assumes his position, because if there is a plan that was recognized as the best replacement plan in Congress amongst conservatives, it was Price's plan. So I believe that is sort of the delay tactic. Let's wait. Let's get Price in. Let's repeal Obamacare because we promised we would, and then allow Price to push through as a medical doctor a plan that will be a solid replacement. And so I believe and I hope that's the plan. I know uh, in talking to our clients, people like Ted Cruz and Mike Lee and and uh, Purdue, people like that, you know, that is kind of the idea going forward is that there will be something. I think right now it's just being framed by the media, which you know they do a really good job of this. Is that oh well they have no plan? It's just not true. There is a plan. McConnell just was sort of a little bit inartful in the way he addressed it. You know that and the way it's been relayed by the media okay all right chris we're gonna have to have you back because uh literally there are a million questions thank you so much for joining us chris wilson everybody with uh wilson perkins allen's research thanks chris uh for joining us on the thomas guide you bet appreciate you having me on take care thanks alice walton thank you so much for patiently waiting uh alice are are you on the line Hi, I'm here. Hi, hi, Alice. Thanks for patiently waiting for us. Sorry, we had some technical difficulties earlier. Let me quickly introduce you to the audience, uh, or the audience to you. Uh, Alice Walton has been 
well, she's a fixture and has been a fixture in L.A. politics uh, for years and years now. She started a, a, a publication online called The City Maven, which really, I think, was, the mo- I, I would dare say, the most comprehensive uh, publication of what locally was happening in L.A. City, period. Oh, thank you. Uh, you no, know, it's true. Um, I know I used to read it every day because you look at your, you used to, just until recently, we're working for the LA Times with their Essential California newsletter, and that's it was wonderful. But honestly, it wasn't that granular in terms of what your local councilman was doing or the back and forth and you know latest council race. And it's not your fault. I think it's just more a function of local news bureaus and where they're at. And of course, you were at KPCC um, as as a as an on air reporter, and now uh, you just joined a firm. I'm gonna. Try to get this right. It's it's X Sunken Slink and Buy. Is that right? Yes, X Sunken Clink and Buy. That's right. Great. Um, so congratulations on the move. But what I what well, thank I you. that's a public affairs firm. But but I really want to talk about um, the years you spent in journalism and your thoughts on. I know you weren't assigned to cover Donald Trump, but. Trump has had a strained relationship with the media in general and and his press corps. How, if you were covering Trump today, how would you cover him differently than presidents have been covered in the past? I know that's a broad question. It is, but that's the challenge that's facing all of these reporters that are trying to cover him. Um, And I think you really saw this come through in the primary. It seemed like most media outlets, not everybody, but most were really not prepared to cover such an unconventional candidate. I mean, here was someone who was not a politician, who was saying and doing things that, you know, for sort of a conventional candidate, that would have been the end of them. And instead, he just seemed to get more and more popular, and he was winning all of these races. And I think you could see how many reporters and editors were really surprised by this and couldn't figure out how to get their hands around uh, covering someone who who speaks so differently, who tweets really freely, uh, doesn't seem to have the same filter that you know most political reporters are, are used to dealing with, and that's the challenge that they have right now. Is it? Uh- it seems if, if you were the editor of the the national politics section, every time Donald Trump tweets, um, it seems to be newsworthy, but I feel like it's a it's a it's a dangerous precedent to just cover it because the president tweeted it. How do you prioritize? Whether or not to kind of chase what I, I think Brian Stelter at CNN calls it, you know, chasing the shiny object um, mm-hmm. that if, if, if Trump, I mean, I, I really think he's been was brilliantly manipulated the media to cover him. Uh, he understood if it bleeds, it leads. So he wanted to shift the conversation away from taxes or something else. He would, you know, go do something sensational or or bring out Kanye West um, or pick a fight. Um, I, I think you're totally right. So I, I think the coverage starts, you know, for each news organization sitting down and saying, what are our priorities and what are our values? And that's where you need to start from to say, you know, here's what's important to us. And, you know, probably the, sh- the short list would include uh, informing our readers, telling them what's happening, um, and telling them in, in a way that's understandable, that's clear, that's easy to understand. Probably another value would be keeping politicians, including the president-elect, uh, accountable for what they say. So if they uh, pick uh, a certain position, if they make promises, if they say they're going to do something, you know, holding them accountable to that. Um, and I think if you start from those two places, you can see, you know, it is possible that when the president-elect tweets that it, that it is newsworthy. Maybe it's about policy. Maybe it's giving insight into what his priority is going to be uh, when his administration actually begins. Uh, so in that sense, you can fit it into your coverage. Uh, if, on the other hand, uh, he's pontificating about uh, pop culture or mm-hmm. people he doesn't like, you know, that might be less newsworthy. Um, I think what's really, really difficult, though, for the media to, to kind of grasp right now is typically whenever the president does speak, it, it is of some news value. Here is the most powerful person in the world. If they have an opinion on something, if they're uh, taking sides, if they're announcing news – 
typically that in itself is newsworthy. So the fact that you might have now in the, a president who uh, wants to give his opinion on things that don't fall under those umbrellas, that is a, a totally new ball game, I think, for reporters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, switching gears for a second. Um, so you covered local politics for years here in L.A. City, and I've seen it shift just, boy, I want to say in the last five or seven years where the L.A. Times or the L.A. Daily News used to have a fairly robust local news desk, and now they don't. Um, you know, you look at the L.A. Times, uh, somebody like a, you know, Gene Merle, who used to cover the ins and outs of campaigns is no longer at the LA times. Obviously you're no longer mm-hmm. at the LA times. Uh, Dave Z does a g- great reporting, but he's only one guy. Um, and he generally chases the the big stories, the investigative stories. And so a lot of local politics or even kind of local governing, just I have a hard time as a practitioner, even either getting out my information to reporters or following what's going on. Um, what can an, you're you're, you're uh, a former viewer or reader of yours. Where can they turn to actually figure out what's going on during an election cycle, but also just with their elected officials? Well, you're totally right that, that things have shifted, and it is really difficult. I mean, the business side of media is no secret. It hasn't been great. They're not making as much money. There's been buyouts, layoffs, staff are smaller, and they're trying to do as much with you know far fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still think it is obviously worthwhile to read the newspapers every day. What is the LA Times covering? What does the Daily News have to say? Uh, one thing that I have found really helpful just for myself trying to keep up on things is to create uh, an RSS feed on your computer and, you know, pick the, the blogs that you like. If it's Curbed LA, if it's LA Observed, um, you know, the places that you feel like are really covering things that you're interested in, if it's real estate or politics. Uh, and going through that every morning, it sort of takes the place of actually flipping through the entire newspaper, which you know people used to do over breakfast. Uh, and now you can kind of go through that. It's a quick way to go through uh, blogs, radio stations, um, newspapers, and, and try to get a sense of what's out there. Uh, now, if they're all covering the same thing, right. and that doesn't happen to be your councilman, <laughs> it doesn't really help you. Yeah. You know, that, that's, um, that transitions me to the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, – as it relates to fake news, everybody's talking that we're in a post-truth era and fake news to me is much bigger than the alt-right. Um, it is, well, this is how I approach it. I'm curious your, your philosophy on it. I approach everything I read, whether it's in the New York Times, the LA Times, or a local blog with a skeptical eye that I really don't believe anything I read unless I've confirmed it from a couple sources uh, online that I've read it from, and that everything to me potentially could be fake news. Because, look, especially talking about local politics, I mean, look, the Mayor Sam blog is great, but they get it, they get it wrong all the time. And so to read something there, I just can't trust that that is in fact, and it's not necessarily that they may have a, a partisan agenda, you know, they could just screw it up. Um, and, and the same thing I feel like with any media institution, I think some get it more right, obviously than, than not, but is it, would you advise a news consumer to just be a skeptic in general going into this kind of fake news environment or, or what do you think the best strategy is for that? Well, I think it is good to be a skeptical reader, um, although if you're too skeptical, you're never going to believe right. anything even when it is true. Um, and I think it's worth distinguishing between fake news and inaccurate news because anyone can make a mistake. And so, you know, you pick up the New York Times, the LA Times, there could be an error in a story that's inadvertent. And, you know, for most legitimate mainstream publications, uh, if they have a mistake or an error, they will correct it. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll write the correction into the paper. Um, the difference with fake news is, you know, to me, that's talking about stories that are completely false. They're made up or they've taken one fact and really taken it out of context. Uh, so I think that's different. That's And maybe it's because they have a point of view. Maybe it's because somebody sitting behind a computer is thinking that's a fun or a silly thing to do. Um, you know, I've seen fake news stories where they will make up people 
Um, so I think if you're reading a story and it's quoting a spokesman you've never heard of before, <laughs> it's perfectly fair to right. Google that person. Right. I've done that. Um, I, I do encourage people to read the mainstream media. I know, you know, there was a Gallup poll that came out last fall that showed Americans trust in media is at an all time low that they, they don't trust media to be fair and to be accurate. But you know, a, a value that the mainstream media has is that they have a history of ethics, of believing in fairness, of accuracy, uh, of having, you know, a process for if you do get something wrong, which, you know, is not always the case with, you know, these websites that pop up mm-hmm. uh, and have stories that, you know, just before I came on the air, I was looking at my Twitter feed and ABC tweeted out uh, that they had found a fake story about the president refusing to, to leave the White House. You know, I would hope that the average reader would see that headline and think, well, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound, yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't pass the sniff test, yeah. Although, yeah, exactly. although what's, what's, the sniff test. You're right, yeah. what's crazy to me, though, is in, in I mean, you look at the, the presidential campaign in 2016, things that I couldn't believe candidates would say or do, they did. You know, normally stuff that I would have seen yeah. pop up in my Facebook feed and I would have been, well, that's clickbait. Actually, <laughs> right, actually you happened. Like you're reading the onion. Exactly. You're exactly. exactly. So it's made it a lot harder even for me to, to sort that out. I, I guess. Well, I think that goes back to your earlier point that, you know, if you see something that just sounds like it can't possibly be true, that it's worth checking with, you know, two or three other right. sources to see, you know, are other people reporting this? Right. Right. Uh, real, real quickly, Alice, uh, uh, tell us about your, your new firm and your new role and, and, and what you're going to be doing. Yeah, so it's X Sunken Clinton Buy. Uh, it's one of the largest lobbying firms in Los Angeles. Uh, it, it also has a public affairs practice, and so I'm working on a lot of the strategic communication uh, projects for some of our clients. And um, you know, it's great. It's a whole new challenge. It's a new chapter in my professional life, uh, and I'm I'm excited. You know, I've spent more than a decade uh, reporting and writing about uh, politics um, here in the city, and I think this is a great opportunity to expand to statewide issues, federal issues, uh, and just see, you know, a whole new, well, a whole new aspect and, of the yeah, world. and, and you're, and you're on the other side of the table now because you're, you're with people like me where, um, you know, we're charged with getting out information about our clients. And then, you know, we want to throttle former reporters like you, <laughs> we, we don't cover <laughs> our press releases. So, um, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I'm thrilled about your, your new position. Matt Clink's a good friend of ours in the show. So, um, you're going to be well served over there, Alice. Thank you so much for your time joining us today. Thank you uh, so much for and, having me. And, and people can find you uh, at the City Maven. Is that your Twitter handle? That is my Twitter handle at the City Maven. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, have a great day. Thanks, Alice. Thanks. You too. That was Alice Walton, formerly with the L.A. Times and KPCC, uh, a, a fellow, uh, a Trojan. In turn, Tiffany is a Trojan. Alice is a Trojan. A lot of USC influence in this uh, in this show. Onto a bit of culture. Fly through these articles. For those of you who didn't see the biggest fail of 2017, is Mariah Carey and her meltdown. Uh, can we roll the clip? It is what it is. It sure is. It really is. <laughs> oh my is. gosh. When I saw that happen, I thought to myself, well, I guess kudos to her that she kind of walked around the stage during the whole song, but everyone knows that big celebrities lip sync, but that was particularly bad. Uh, and there were a couple times where she kind of half went through the choreography and then at one point, a guy, one of her dancers was supposed to lift her up. And she, I remember she like looked at the dancer and said, might as well. <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> why not? Lift me up and see how it goes. Oh, Mariah. And then, of course, um, the spin did not stop after that because 
Then immediately her PR team said that Dick Clark Productions, which is the, the group that, that, that produced that show, sabotaged her and she said there were problems with the audio and they didn't fix it and they wanted a ratings bump for the show. Um, and then, of course, Dick Clark Productions got outraged saying, no, we produce uh, huge performances, not just New Year's Eve big award show and how dare you accuse us of doing something like that. And I believe Dick Clark productions because if that were true, you'll never get a big act again. I don't care who, how much you pay them. You can't pay Beyonce enough to jeop her, her career and her integrity and her belief that she can sing is worth far more than the 500,000 or million bucks you're going to pay somebody to do a one-time performance. So I believe Dick Clark and look, Mariah Carey even backtracked after the fact and she tweeted, um, shit happens. Have a, <laughs> have a happy and healthy new year. Everybody here's to making more headlines in 2017. All right. I'm of the mindset that everyone knows Mariah Carey has a good set of pipes. No one is saying, wow, she's just remixed and can't sing. So, okay. She lip synced, but now we're talking about her. She kept her cool relatively, although Mariah has been known for meltdowns and being a diva. So this did play into that stereotype a little bit. I'm not like, okay, I'm not, I don't think she handled it well. I'm hearing a lot of people say, oh, she handled it so well. I don't think she handled it well. I don't think that, I think the show had problems in all honesty before even the technical difficulties. I don't know if Mariah Carey needs to wear those see-through bodysuits all the time and still be singing stuff 10 years later that, you know, is, is decades old. I think she needs new material, and I think she needs a designer gown that's age-appropriate. Uh, I will agree with you <laughs> that playing the sexy, sultry sex pot uh, is so 1990. Yeah, and the I mean, song was you, 1990. You know, she, I think in one of those songs, she was swinging on a on a uh, a tire, uh, uh, you know, like a tire rope over the water, you know, singing. And she was what was it, at the time? She was probably like 19. Yeah. Even Get that, over that was it. cute, Mature, yeah. Mature a little bit. And I don't think she handled it well. I think probably handling it better would have been to just, you know, have more fun with it. And that's what I would have done. If I were in this position, I mean, look, even on this show you just saw a couple minutes ago, with, things happen. <laughs> Technical shit glitch, happens. shit happens. <laughs> it is what it is. Oops, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but things happen. It's live. Nothing you can do about it. All you can do is enjoy it everybody understands that te technical glitches occur and mariah is a good singer so she should have just had a good time perhaps come up with a witty thing in the moment to kind of make light of the issue and then maybe even make a statement making fun of herself after the fact not accusing dick clark productions of sabotage and this that, and the other oh but one mm. more thing mm. is you know she is a great singer i think she's probably one of the best singers alive yeah. Uh, why isn't she singing? Why is it okay to lip sync when you are a singer? That's what you're doing. Why aren't you out there doing it live? Do it live. Yeah, do it live. Do it well, live. It's, it's a good point. I would agree. Although I think if you're doing choreography, it is hard. I mean, Mariah's hitting such a range that she probably needs to be in a studio with her headphones on in a perfect environment, not walking around huffing and puffing before she hits the notes. So I understand you, but if you look at amazing singers, Pavarotti, opera singers, they stand in place. I mean, they don't walk around. So I think you kind of can't have both ways. I would rather... Well, she's a terrible dancer, so why doesn't she just dance See, still and Okay, sing? so this is what I would say. If you're a kick-ass dancer, maybe a little bit of lip-syncing is okay because you're a performer. If you're Bruno Mars, you're Justin Timberlake, you're Michael Jackson. I get it, okay? We're watching you dance. Mariah Carey, <laughs> she doesn't have the moves. She was getting carried around a nah, lot. I know. Her whole thing is, look how sexy I am. Look how attractive I am. And by the way, I'm hitting high notes. Aren't I cute? You know, I think that's like her thing. The best singers in the world evolve with time. And initially they play to what they have to do, but they evolve. Um, I think it's time for her to evolve and grow up. But yeah, she should sing because that's what she's known for. I, I agree with you there. So there's 
First of all, if you've been watching the Thomas Guide and you don't know that I like to work out and I like to CrossFit obsessively, where have you been? Get your head out of your ass. But there's a story in the Wall Street Journal this week about the that <laughs> there are fitness classes. The trend now is extreme fitness, uh, that people are paying fitness instructors in studios to create workouts to curtail just to them so that it destroys them so that they they literally can't even walk out of the gym or drive home i'm all for it <laughs> whatever your poison is that's great i mean what they're finding here is that these kinds of people uh millennials mostly are fitness junkies and they get bored easily with different styles of workouts so they're they're jumping from crossfit to zumba to spin, you know, uh, a soul cycle. And now this is kind of the latest thing where they, instead of jumping from thing to thing, they pay an instructor to come up with different poisons every week. I'm fine with it. I, in, in CrossFit, we do something similar. Generally a rule of thumb is the shorter the time to work out in CrossFit, the more brutal it is. So the average layman would see a three minute CrossFit workout of we, we they're called the girls. One would be Fran. It's a benchmark workout. Should take you about two minutes if you're decent at it. You go two minutes. How bad can two minutes be? Oh, God. Then in that two minutes, you will literally not be able to peel yourself off the floor. I would much rather do a 30 or 45-minute workout than a two-minute workout. We're going to talk more CrossFit as this show goes on because that's what I like to do. I think we're going to get the founder of CrossFit in here um, and uh, maybe some famous athletes to talk about the CrossFit game. Okay, we just had to cover this story uh, because we love all things naked. Uh, there, was a, there was a story in Arizona this week where a woman hijacked a police officer's car. She was stopped. She then stole his car, got in it naked, and went in a high-speed pursuit. We got a little bit of the footage. Can we roll it? And it all happened very fast. He couldn't even tell because of because it was so fast if it was a man or if it was a woman. But um, we now know that it was a woman and that she was naked. That's what we know. <laughs> they were she was traveling at a hundred miles an hour. Uh, she ended up crashing at the very end because she was driving butt ass naked. You know, I guess it's, if you're gonna do it, do it big. That's like a Thelma and Louise moment, really. What we know is that she's naked. We don't know. I watched the whole thing, uh, that whole chase, and there were so many moments where I'm sure the news anchor was trying not to laugh. You know, innuendos. Um, I, don't, I never figured out. I don't think they answered why she was naked, but fuck it. You're going to jail. Who cares? <laughs> Last fun story of the day. <laughs> we just... Had to cover this. Uh, there, this YouTube video went up. Uh, there is a small child who just uh, was given, or the family was given, an Amazon Echo, you know, Alexa, the little thing you talk to that you can ask questions and whatnot. And You play Tickle Tickle. Um, and instead of playing Tickle Tickle, the pervy Amazon Alexa had this to say. Can we roll the clip? Play Tickle Tickle. Alexa, play Tickle Tickle. Bobby, can you talk to play wheels? You want to box? hear a station for porn detected. Porno ringtone, hot chick, amateur girl, quality, no, sexy. No, 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 no. Pussy okay. anal dildo ringtone. Alexa, stop. <laughs> Alexa, wash your mouth out with soap. <laughs> Disgusting. Poop mouth. Alexa, can you believe that? I would think she wouldn't be able to say any of those things. I know. <laughs> I got to ask Bill Handel. He just got an Alexa at KFI. <laughs> Say, Phil, does Alexa talk dirty to you? <laughs> oh, my God. Play Tickle Tickle. Well, I was just chatting <laughs> last night. I was just... <laughs> I was just chatting last night with um, 
Darren Cavanoki, who uh, he he has a show on. I think it's on True uh, True Crime uh, Network. Uh, but he's one eight hundred Mister No Cuffs. I'm sure you've seen him on, or heard him on the radio, seen him on TV. And we were talking about all these different technologies at um, at the what is it? Is it uh, C, uh, CES conference out of the technology conference in Vegas, and how they have these crazy, realistic robots that are men and women with, I mean, actual facial expressions, skin that wrinkles. It's it's creepy. And Darren said he goes, you know. That the only reason technology progresses is for the porn industry. Everything is about a porn use. And now I'm going, shit, he's right. Even Alexa is a dirty little whore. That's too much. That's very Freudian. It is. It's really Freudian. Gosh. Well, I'm glad we could end on that note. Ah. <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> uh. Naked stories. You can always come to us for naked always stories. Always count on the naked stories. And scandalous Alexa stories. <laughs> Thanks so much for watching this episode of The Thomas Guide, everyone. Uh, be sure to catch us next Thursday at 1 p.m. <laughs> Have a great week. This has been The Thomas Guide with John Thomas. We hope you've enjoyed the ride. Join us Thursdays at 1 on Facebook Live. Tweet John at The Thomas Guide. Find us on iTunes and subscribe. Or you can go to KFI. Keyword, 